in the name of a father that was willing to give his, his loved one and only son and a love that's that deep and accepting and gracious and patient. And in the name of a, a son that was willing to leave the comforts of heaven to not just come to earth, but to come as a servant, as the lowest rung on the ladder on this earth to serve us and to, to submit himself to death so that we can experience life in the name of that power. In the name of the spirit that represents that the God of yesterday, today, and forever is with his body and believers and is a seal. In the name of all of that, God, we just pray your blessing and anointing over this place, this room, and over me as I try and speak your words clearly and accurately and try and do honor to the message that you've given us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at a passage out of Ecclesiastes. And the reason I got stuck on the word is because Ecclesia, if you are in Bible classes, the root comes from the idea of church. So Ecclesia is an assembly, an assembly of people, and Ecclesiastes almost means a preacher. It's someone that's preaching to the assemblies. So in short, it's almost like saying the message of Ecclesiastes, that will preach. That right there will preach. Okay, so are you ready? Because we're about to preach. Come on, are we ready? Ecclesiastes, you will um, want to at some point have out a pen or something you can write down because I will be wanting everyone to interact at some point in this. So just so you know that in reference here, we're going to be going to Ecclesiastes in a second. But before we go there, I miss recess. I miss recess and nap time. And nap time was only in kindergarten, but I had a little towel with my name on it. And those were the good days, you know? Yeah, you got to go and lay for a little hour with friends. And then recess, I mean, we started off growing up with three. We had a morning, a lunch recess, and then a little afternoon one. It slowed down to two, but man, I, w- I wish there was just all of a sudden professors were like, well, that's when they say class is dismissed. But it would be nice if there was like ready, set, play time. Everyone's like, woo! And runs out together for 15 minutes and then comes back in, you know? Sometimes I, I want to go back to the good old days. And sometimes I sit there and go, man, those days were almost better. I almost, I almost feel like we're in the wrong place. But we should almost go back to the good old days. I decided to show you a few pictures. Professor Elliot a few weeks ago showed us a few pictures or a picture of him um, flashing back retro days. So I decided to give you a few pictures of me to kind of reference this for a second here too. This is me in junior high. I'm the one getting the wedgie right now. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Junior high days, had the, had the step cut. I but originally had the bowl cut, you know, like where you can put the, that over there and go straight around. And I upgraded to putting a split in junior high right here, you know. I was junior high, had braces. And this is just a fun picture with my friends, although I would consider one of those guys probably the closest thing I had to a bully in junior high. And in the midst of a great life, I, there were hard times. This is probably the worst right here. And getting cut from the football team. But uh, one of the things that was really interesting is I grew up in a Christian home. And so I honestly think one of my biggest growth spurts was in middle school and my spiritual walk. And I feel like that sounds kind of ridiculous. Like how much can you really know? 
But in middle school, I feel like it was the first time where I started to read a devotional every day. On Sundays, I would spend an extra hour going through a devotional on the side. I had my prayer list where I was praying for friends. Part of that prayer list was specifically, how can I mention God even in a Christian school and get him more involved in the conversations? I was trying to right the wrongs that where I, was, where I, didn't, I wasn't the most patient guy. So I was memorizing verses and proverbs on patience. So this was one of those days, like this glamorous times, one of these glorified times in my mind where sometimes I wish, even though it was an awkward stage, I could go back to my middle school or my junior high years. Those almost seem like the better days at times spiritually. Next picture is, um, we're going to go back here. I started to go through high school and church. I love my youth group. This is me doing an awkward, trying to pose against the wall to look cool, but it's just not. And um, that's, that's me in high school starting to go up there. And I loved my youth group. I loved my church days. And as I went into um, college, I realized that the university setting, it was kind of hard to find a place quite like youth group and church like I was used to. I loved it. It was so good. And it didn't mean that there weren't good churches around, but I would try and there was good things, there was bad things, and I just kept visiting. I was having a hard time finding church that felt quite as good or quite like home. Sometimes I wished I could go back to youth group or to my home church. I had a good life in high school, actually. Um, This is homecoming court. Even though I got cut from the football team, I ended up making homecoming court. And now I'm the stud, you know, now I got that. And I actually won, so instead of a crown, you get this little, whatever this dainty thing was. You can see I felt really awkward holding it because I got this little diamond-crusted crown, like a wand. I was like, So, and all of a sudden, even the girl, even the cute girl's looking at me in this picture, you know? Life is good. Life is good. And uh, I I had grown up, I had built up a lot of who I was, not trying to be, but just being myself, following God. Over time, I gained a reputation as someone that was a a man of Christian character, a man that worked hard. And as I was leaving high school, it was kind of hard because those were almost my glory days. I mean, I would even say in college or afterwards, I loved college, but I feel like you, you either have your glory days in high school or college, maybe after, but it's usually one or the other. You usually go, man, I, kept, I just want to keep going back to college. Or, man, I just really liked high school, and I really want to go back to that. For me, it was originally high school. I wanted to keep going back to those days while I was in college, partially because I didn't like thinking about the future too much. The future seemed to kind of weigh me down. But at the same time, when I got to college, I was an RA. And so this is the floor I was in charge of right here. So we had good times. I can show you picture after picture. I had a picture I was going to put up there of when I went to China on a missions trip and had memories with these guys. And college became the good old days. And I love the good old days. And so sometimes when I got into the real world or had other responsibilities, all of a sudden I'm like, man, can I just go back to the college days? Those were so much better. I slip and slide down the hallway and the RDs have to like, do something, but we don't have to get in trouble for it. These are the good days, you know? Um, and, then, and then you go on. And then I went to New Zealand as a missionary. And I grew up in California, so I loved surfing. But then all of a sudden... Part of my missions, even though it was hard, I was far away from my family, was that I got to use a love for outdoors and recreation and surfing to, to literally build relationships for Christ, to bring people to church, to see amazing things happen. And I lived in New Zealand, land of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Frodo. I never saw any hobbits. People always ask. Um, but I, w- I was there for about two and a half years. And so I, I am so glad I am here in Atlantic Canada 
But there were some days when it's snowy out and it's cold that you might think, man, it would be nice. It would be nice to be there right now where I know it's not going to snow in the wintertime or that I could be surfing if I drove a half an hour to the road. And I think as humans, we tend to glorify the good pastimes. We tend to think, that, and this is my life. This is my life beforehand up until this point. This is in New Zealand. I was like, life is good. I'm on top of the world. Ah, you know, there's moments where you think of the good old days like, man, life is good. And we start to ask the question, why were the old days so much better than these? Or how can I get back to the good old days? And we have this question of how, how it's good now, but there's that. And, and one of the things I found that was interesting as I really started to process this question was this. It kind of shows that in some way, when you're asking this question, you are discontent or unhappy with where you are at right now or where your future is headed. If you're asking this question, you're not as excited about what's happening today or in the future as what happened in the past. And I think that's a problem. So the temptation is to stop looking forward to what could come, looking forward to life, and to start looking back, to almost wish you could go back. So instead of looking back to go forward, we start to look back hoping we could go back. I love the world of technology because now instead of actually going to credible news sources, we go to the Facebook or Twitter news feed to find out what's going on in the world. And so I was asking, why is our generation unhappy? And there happened to be this one article that was, um, the, the, this is a part of why Generation Y yuppies are unhappy. So why is our generation unhappy? And they use cool stick figures and drawings, which is my status. So here we go. This is, this is what they said. It's the success in years that the, the baby, boomer, baby boomer career path expectations was you hard work and there's green grass that just keeps getting better. And it seemed to be the case for our parents that we had this, they had, not only did they work hard, but sometimes this actually exceeded their expectations. And life was good. But then we come along and we expect just as much, if not better. And so then we have moments like this. I suppose I could be president, but is politics really the truest calling of my heart? No, no, that would be settling. And so, and so we all of a sudden get to this place where we think not only do we deserve green grass that grows a lot quicker, but we deserve flowers. We deserve unicorns that spit out rainbows. Like our life. And if they only knew because just wait till they see the world sees how amazing I am. And so we, we, we want to go a step further. We think that our life should be this much better. But then we, when our lives and reality don't quite meet our unicorn rainbow expectations. There's this frustration and there's this disappointment, what we call being unhappy or discontent. So then, there, I'm isolating. So there we are over there, and all of a sudden we start looking at other people. And so we start looking at our friends who, in reality, are down in the same place we are, but their Facebook profiles or the status we see looks like they're up on the grass, flowery hills. And all of a sudden, there's this angst in us. Why are we down here and they're up there? And so there becomes this kind of thing where there's this frustration gap of not only are we not meeting our expectations, but then it looks like other people are. And we're all in the same place of being frustrated and happy and discontent, but we don't know it. And we don't know if it's reality or not and what's going on in our lives. 
One author called it the expectations hangover. We have all these expectations of what should be, and when they don't come out quite as we thought, it's not nearly as fun as it looked at first. So what do we do when we're unhappy or discontent? What's it going to look like for us when, when I think most of us are in agreement, we nod our heads, or are we saying that we felt that way, we're there, or we know that place? A few nods, okay, okay, most of you are in agreement with me in here. There, there's an interesting thing that happens here that um, there's this guy in Ecclesiastes, whether it was Solomon or whether it's the preacher, whoever you think is writing it, he's having an expectations hangover. And I love it when the things of today are just as real in the Bible times. This isn't a new question. This isn't a new problem. This is there. I love it when the Bible says, this is life. Let's, let's, tell, you how to, let's how you, tell you how to live for God in this life. Solomon, or this guy saying, I've, I've tried all the things in this world, and I thought all these things were gonna make me happy, make me better off. And somehow it seems meaningless. And you, you can hear the frustration a little bit in the author's voice. And you're trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out what does matter. And I feel like he gives some conclusions. And some people say it's one of the best gospel presentations in the sense of it helps lead us to what the hope in the future of what is. But I didn't find all of the answers to it in there. But I did, I do relate to him. And I want to hear what he has to say on this issue. But before that, it goes one step further. That was Facebook science right now. There's this thing called TED Talks. And I'm on, I'm on a kick right now. I love TED Talks. They're, they have to be 21 minutes or shorter. And they're usually done by people with a, a PhD or they've had some incredible feat. And it has to be a talk. And it's, TED stands for either technology, education, or design. And so it's, it's them in their field talking about what's going on. And this one guy studied happiness in his TED Talk. And here's what Dan Gilbert on the surprising science of happiness, here's a short clip of what he had to say. There's two different futures that I invite you to contemplate and you can try to simulate them and tell me which one you think you might prefer. One of them is uh, winning the lottery. This is about $314 million. And the other is becoming paraplegic. So just give it a moment of thought. You probably don't feel like you need a moment of thought. And interestingly, there are data on these two groups of people, data on how happy they are. And this is exactly what you expected, isn't it? But these aren't the data. I made these up. These are the data. You failed the pop quiz, and you're hardly five minutes into the lecture. Because the fact is that a year after losing the use of their legs, and a year after winning the lotto, lottery winners and paraplegics are equally happy with their lives. Now, don't feel too bad about failing the first pop quiz because everybody fails all of the pop quizzes all of the time. The research that my laboratory has been doing, that economists and psychologists around the country have been doing, have revealed something really quite startling to us. Something we call the impact bias, which is the tendency for the simulator to work badly. For the simulator to make you believe that different outcomes are more different than in fact they really are. From field studies to laboratory studies, we see that winning or losing an election, gaining or losing a romantic partner, getting or not getting a promotion, passing or not passing a college test, on and on, have far less impact, less intensity, and much less duration than people expect them to have. In fact, a recent study, this almost floors me, a recent study showing how uh, major life traumas affect people suggests that 
If it happened over three months ago, with only a few exceptions, it has no impact whatsoever on your happiness. What? I'm wanting all these things, but they're not going to really bring me happiness? That kind of blows my mind. But then, then there's moments I love science and technology because you're like, that's not a new concept. Solomon in Ecclesiastes said this like however long ago. This is something, nothing new. We just need to hear it, to hear it put in our brains. The things of this world are not going to satisfy as much as you think they are. The accomplishments you think you've had in the past and how good they were, were great, but they're not as good and as glamorous as you think they once were. And even if you were to go back to the same place, it wouldn't be as good as where God wants you today. It's not a matter of if, but when, as humans, as we're transitioning over that, we realize we're going to try things out that aren't going to give us nearly as much fulfillment as we thought they would. And when we do, the symptom is that we often ask the question, why were the old days so much better than these? It's one of the symptoms that comes out. Turn your books to Ecclesiastes 7.10. Ecclesiastes 7.10. It's one verse in the middle of a chapter that's talking about it's better to focus on death than birth. And it's a really depressing chapter like a lot of Solomon's, but there's a lot of good truth in it. And it's so interesting because I've asked this question before. I've wished I could go back to those days. But his answer is this. Do not say why were these old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because if, if it's not wise, he's pretty much saying it's foolish or pretty much stupid, which makes me at my, my, my kid's eye come in and want to point at the teacher who says, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Be like, ha, you're wrong. <laughs> The Bible says there is. There is a stupid question. This is what it is. There is such thing as a stupid question. And, 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 and what it is is this. I, if you haven't done this, I just love comparing translations. There's word studies, but for me, a part of a quick word study is hearing it said to different languages to different people. So outside of the NIV where it says that, it also says, um, don't ask why life, life was, why was life better in the good old days. It is not wise to ask such questions. Do not say why were the old days better than these, for it is not wise or because of wisdom that you ask this question. Is amplified as it expounds on it. And then you gotta love the King James. Say not thou what is the cause that the former days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. The word inquire there is saying, it's not just a rhetorical question. It's kind of this demand, this wanting to know, this inquiring. It's almost like you're seeking it out. It's almost like you're wishing you want to go back there. But I also still have a hard time with this because, I mean, there's a side of me that says, you're supposed to remember back to the old days too. So my brain starts to argue with this. There's a lot of things that are going on. Before I unpack that, one of the things I would love to do is to actually memorize this verse. I know it's easy, but let's, let's do this, all right? So I want you to write it down once. Either 
write it down, text it, and then we're going to say this together about five times. I know it's going to be repetitive, but I want you to walk away knowing this verse. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this. I'm going to say it a few times for you. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Let me say that again. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? The second part is, for it is not wise to ask such questions. One more time. For it is not wise to ask such questions. I want you to be able to take this as you go from here. Okay, so repeat it after me. Or say this with me. Ecclesiastes 7.10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. One more time. Ecclesiastes 7.10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Let me take it out of here. See if we can do this out. One more time without there. Ecclesiastes 7.10. You just memorized the verse. Keep ingraining that in yourself in the day. You got something else that's... That, that will preach. <laughs> that right there, that will preach. Because our natural tendency is to not want to live in that mode. So, I think one of the things is, what, what, is, what does it look like to be remembering? Because I, I, I did a quick Bible gateway, and even just Bible gateway in the NIV, it says 256 times, remember. So what's the difference between remembering and then looking back on the old days and asking why were these old days um, better? I'm going to let you fill in the gaps on that one. But for me, it was coming back to the same conclusion. If I was using an example, let's go through Israelites, disciples, and then David. Israelites. Life is good when they're getting out of slavery in Egypt. Woo! Yeah, we've been praying this for a long time. Then they get to the stage of the expectations hangover. We're in front of the Red Sea. Our cholesterol is stress is high because we could die right now. Moses, you're a very bad person. I don't like you, but just get us out of this. They've crossed the Red Sea. Then they get to the desert. And what do they hit? An expectation hangover. They thought the promised land and getting there would be a lot better than big walls and having to face that or going through the desert. And what is their comment? What is their comment consistently if they're grumbling? If they're not asking for food or water, one of their other comments is this. It would almost be better if what? We go back to Egypt. Go back to the day we, were, the day we once were. That was, that was better. At least we had meat and other stuff there. Moses and Josh said, no, there's something better. And God's presence isn't in Egypt. God's presence is right here with us. Don't try and go back to where there. God's presence is here. This is the better place to be. The Israelites, well, not the Israelites, then we go on to the disciples and we get to the Easter days. And that's totally different because if we're going to that, it's, it's the disciples were used to Jesus. And I'm actually pretty proud of them because they're not saying, Jesus, stay with, I mean, stay with us. They do before he resurrects, but after where he resurrects, they're not saying, just stay here with us. Just stay a little bit longer. They want him there, 
But more than that, they accept that when Jesus says the spirit and the dwelling is going to come, that there's going to be his presence in a new way, they have to accept God and his presence in their life in the way he's going to today rather than what it used to be, rather than what it once was. As Christians, a lot of times we want to experience God the same way we once did. We we don't want to accept him taking us to a new place. We've done that enough, God. We we know what it's like to experience you. And this is probably one of the biggest assumptions I have to keep correcting myself on. I keep thinking that there's going to be a day while I'm alive that I've done enough and I've done enough. Like, okay, now I can just sit back and relax because I've done enough. I've, I've, I've learned enough so I can just teach without having to do more prep. I, I've, I've prayed enough so I, I can just get up and preach. I've, I've helped enough people to where I don't have to worry so much about giving anymore as much as taking care of myself. And we keep making these promises to where we're going to get to a place where we've done enough when we realize that as long as we're living, God's always wanting to li- us to live into the presence of who he is today, not who he was in the past. Give us today our daily bread. He wants us to experience him in a new way, even today. That's just as good, if not better. But if we're not careful, we, we question it. We think the old days were better. We're going to come back to that in a second here. So I was wrestling through this, and um, Ecclesiastes gives some answers, but he doesn't give all of it. And uh, actually, pause. I'm going to come out for one second. Do you ever have those moments where you feel like God just messes up your sermon? If anyone has preached, or you feel like you're supposed to say something, and he like told, tells you that you, you're ready to go one way, and all of a sudden he says something in your head? He, he, said, he kind of said two things in my head backstage that, as I was preparing this morning, I'm like, God, I wasn't planning on going there. But I think I have to do due diligence to saying this right here in the moment. I think I have a passion for a lot of things. But God really had me focusing on two people um, in this group today. One, not only do I believe in God and believe in people and love his word, but I love the local church for better and for worse. It's filled with people and it's not going to be perfect. But we, Bill Hybels, one of the leaders of the day would say, when it's, when it's fully functioning, the, the local church is the, is the hope of this world. The local church, the ecclesia, the, the, the communion of believers, it, it, the body of Christ. God wants to work through imperfect people to do amazing things. And that, that's what I believe the local church is. And I think that he wants us to commit to it with its good and its bad. And one of the mistakes a lot, one of the biggest mistakes university students make, in my opinion, is this. They keep trying to find their youth group or their church of the past. You're church shopping a lot. And you're not committing to somewhere for better or for worse and saying, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to get involved with a small group or on Sundays or do my best to serve even if it's not easy, even if it's not completely happy or quite what I expected. Because to learn to love and live in community and intergenerational ministry in a new way, I have to accept the newness of the presence and not try and go back to once was and the way I once connected with God. 
you guys here need to commit beyond just thinking to what it looks like to continue to be involved in a local church for the gospel in our area and beyond to the rest of the world. Two, some of you are getting ready to go on summer jobs, internships, and you're going to ask the question, or you're going to sit there and think, man, I really would like to go back to the Kingswood family right now. Or I'd really like to go back to the days before that. Because this isn't quite what I expected it to be. It, it, there's going to be moments where it's great, but there's going to be moments where you wish you could go back. There's times you can come back and visit, and we will love you, and we will be your family and your support. But God's asking you to establish his family through you and his presence wherever he calls you to in a new way. And you need to commit to that for better or for worse. Even when it doesn't meet your expectations. Whether that's a summer job, whether that's the next church you're going to, commit to it. Love it. For better or for worse. Don't sit there and try and go back to the better days. God has something just as good or if not better where he's calling you if you're walking in his spirit and his presence as a Christian. And I believe that with all my heart. In the words of a wise philosopher, J.T. Wellborn, even though you were only here for four years, act like it's been ten. Even though you were only here for four years, act like it's 10. And he's, he got this from Steve Elliott's class, so you can't take full credit for it. But there, there, he, he, I was in church the other day, and he, he, he leaned over to me and he said that. We were at Sussex Wesley. He's like, Brent, Brent, and his cool southern verse, Brent, just tell the students that, that when they're here, even though they're here for a short time, not to act like they're only here for four years, but to act like they're here for 10 years to commit to the church. I hope that that's us. I hope that there's a love in us for God, the Bible, his presence, that wherever we're at, whether it's three days, three months, three years, 30 years, that people will know that while we're there, we're treating it like we're staying there as long as God's presence is there, and we're accepting and loving it and committing to it with all we got, for better, for worse, because where God's presence is is exactly where we want to dwell, and not in the past, but in the present and in the future. I just love that picture too. <laughs> um, let me go back for a second here um, to this awesome picture. Let me just think about that one for a second. How do we do this? How do we, so the first thing we had is there's an expectation hangover. There's this moment where we realize the world doesn't offer like Ecclesiastes 7.10 says. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this, do not say why we're, for it is not. We know that remembering is the idea of not looking back like Egypt, but it's like Moses or the disciples looking to what's in the future. Jesus has died, he's risen again. It's a new chapter. What's that look like? And I think if we go back to David and Goliath, an epic story. I love this story. We see it play out really well. David is a shepherd boy. And he has a good cush life. It may not be the best. There's things where we can say, like, you know, he's at the bottom of the totem pole. But he has no reason why he has to go and face the, the Goliath, the giant, the Philistines. And, and he, 
there is the what if. I know we look at it in hindsight, David and Goliath, he wins. He could proclaim that God's gonna come through and him get killed. That is a possibility. And his humanness right there, he's trusting God, but there is this sense of, as he's in that moment, he doesn't know, he's trusting, but there's not this, I, maybe, maybe, I can't read in David's mind, but from what we can tell, I don't know that he has predestined, you are gonna defeat the Goliath, and he knows this without a shadow of a doubt, outside of the trust, faith, and belief in, in God. And then he has this epic stand where, where Saul is, Saul's like, are you sure you can't, are you, you might get killed. He's a big guy. And, and, and he says this, and I love this verse. He references the past, but he leaves it into his future. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I love this moment. I almost picture him even, and then Saul says to David, go and the Lord will be with you. And as he's going out there, Goliath is like, come at me, let me kill you. And he's like, today you will see that it's not by spear or sword, but it's by the hand of God. And he kills Goliath and he falls to the ground. And there's this great moment where David could have lived in his past victories. He could say, I've killed a lion or a bear, but he didn't risk or be afraid of what, what was and try and be back there. He knew that as long as he's in God's presence, God had just as good, if not better things for him today and that this is what obedience looks like for him in this moment was to live into his presence and a new victory and a new coming. So you need to proclaim your past not as where you wish you could go back to, but as the good that God could do in your future, just as good if not better. If, if God has shown me what a youth group in a church could look like in my high school days, I can't imagine what it could look like now or in the future if it can only get better. If if God somehow brought me this family from Kingswood that I never had, I can't imagine what it will look like to enter into a new and just as good, if not better family and embrace a bigger family from here and beyond. If, if, if God has been so good in all the ways in the past, I'm so excited to see what God does in the future. As a human, it's so easy for me to say, man, I've lived a good life. That's that's not me saying, yeah, but if you look, if you go through like, and it wasn't like, I didn't try and rally this up, but if you look at my Facebook pictures, I was going over it for those slides. I've done a lot for 30 years. Like I have, I've loved my life, whether it's skydiving, bungee jumping, like on vines, whether it's uh, being able to speak, lead people to Christ. And there's moments, and this sounds ridiculous, there's moments at 30 where I wonder if my best days are behind me. I know you don't think I'm going to be there at 30, but I've had moments already. I know. I've still got a lot of life before me. But are my best days behind me? Are my best sermons? Are my youthfulness? Are my good looks and my lighter weight behind me? Can I ever get the yes? Thanks, Scott. Can I ever get them back? It won't be the same good as once was but it can be different and just as good, if not better, if I believe God has good and has measured more than all I hope or imagine stored for me in the future and today. We can't keep looking to the good of the past and criticizing now and, and saying we should be different, we should be different. We can't live in criticism. We have to live in a proclamation that we are gonna be the ones that live in God and help see the change happen. 
We have to be the ones that say, if God can do that, this, this doesn't meet my expectations as to what I thought it looked like, but I just know that God's got something just as good or not better in this church, or, or just as good if not better in this friendship, or just as not good but better in my family. And as long as I'm in the presence of God, life is going to be good. There was another verse I can't escape, and I had to write it down. Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen. The disciples ask Jesus how he can pr- how to pray, and he goes through this whole thing: ask, and it will be given; seek, and you will find; knock, and the door will be open to you. And right in the middle of it, you, you see that he's like, you know what? How much of a, if a father gives? Like, if you ask for a rock, we'll give him like a scorpion. No, he's going to give you good things. And then it says about God afterwards, it's so interesting. I don't have the verse up there because this was one of those he, he, he kept bringing me back to and here. But God was, it says in there, how much more will God give you all good things? No, that's exactly what I expected it to say. And this verse really threw me off. If a good father gives people so much good things, how much more your God? No, it actually says, how much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit? I still don't grasp that, but that just, I knew that, but it changed my perspective. Because if I'm looking for the good things to meet my expectations, there's going to be those hangover moments. But then I started to see it all over the place. Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. His final words are, and lo, um, I will be with you Always. If we look at the Old Testament, what they wanted in the temple or the Ark of the Covenant was the idea of God's presence being with them. When you see Jesus, the disciples love it because God is with them. When Jesus says he's leaving, but he's leaving the Spirit, he's saying, I will be with you. When you look in Revelation 21, it says, not that we go and make our dwelling with God, but that God comes and makes his dwelling with us. And that to be in his presence is the end chapter, the greatest thing, the way we find contentment and happiness. And there will be moments where unhappiness will not meet what we think we should have or what the world should be, but we need to hold on to his presence and commit to where God's leading us for better or for worse and to not ask why were the old days better because God has something just as good if not better in store for you today and for this summer and for your futures. Sometimes it looks like mountains, sometimes it looks like valleys, but his presence is always the best place to be. So let me bring it back around. It's really simple. Well, let me, there's two verses here. Paul, when he says, he says this, and you know the verses. Not that I've already obtained all of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is He got this. This is Philippians 3, Philippians 4, the very next chapter. When we talked about unhappiness and discontentment, all of a sudden he says this. I have learned the secret of being content. Okay, you ready? So he's he's counteracting what Solomon's saying right here. In any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether in good or bad scenarios, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things when I have the presence of the Lord with me. I can do all things even if the scenario works out just as good or as bad as I want to. There's going to be times where he exceeds my expectations and or the world doesn't exceed my expectations from right now, but in the end, as long as I'm with his presence, it's always going to be good or better, not only now, but in the future till the end of the day.
So when we find ourselves being discontent, I think the main question we have to do, what do you do when you're having an expectations hangover? First off is just to say this. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? I felt like I didn't have to do a lot of preaching because I feel like this preaches for itself. And I want you to remember this verse. Because it's not wise, it's stupid to ask such questions at times. But to remember that God's presence, in the same way that he was with his people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and with you in your past, he's going to be with you in your present and your future as well. And we need to not wish we could go back. We need to honor that. I'm so glad that one of our verses for this year was Ephesians 3.20, or a part of it, where it was now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. As I was going over this message this morning, I had a really exciting moment, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act it out because I really was this excited. I had this moment where I was, this is my first year teaching here, and so I love it as a professor, but there's still moments of coming into your own in a new setting that just always is. And wondering what I was going to say and whether it was going to come out right. And all of a sudden, God made this shift when your own sermon speaks to you again. It's this great moment. And this morning, all of a sudden, God said, you're preaching this. But do you really believe, Brent, that today this could be the best sermon of the time I speak through you that, that you've ever preached? Do you really believe that today could be just as good, if not a better day, than all of your past sermons or all of the, bad thing, the past things you've experienced? And I started to be like, Woo! I started to do one of those walks. I'm like, where you get really excited when you're like, God could do something just as good, if not better, than everything in my past, today, and in my future. It's not a, a maybe and if. It might look different. It may not look the same. But if he's the God of good and there's still more to good to come, there's still more to know him, there's still more love to grow in, the worst days aren't ahead of me me. Death is not something I should fear. I should look forward to living into the future, not because I'll become more youthful necessarily, but because I know wholeheartedly with all my heart that being in God's presence will experience more and more good, more and more love, and that as long as I'm in his presence and he's with me, I can't wait because the best days are here and still to come. We're going to sing uh, in Christ alone. We're going to have the band come on up here. And let me pray as they're getting set. But I just want to consecrate this time and say, and I want you as well with me, before you bow your heads, to say your own prayer. If you're there, you don't have to say it out loud. You can listen to me if you want to, and it might be hard. But if, if, say your own prayer and what it looks like for you to say, God, I'm committing to not just trying to live in my past days where I was doing really good in my spiritual walk in my past days where I enjoyed church in the past, or even in the future, my past days where I enjoy Kingswood, but I'm gonna to continue to look for how your presence wants to use me and to, and to experience you in a new way. I had one guy in the last church that, he was older, and I know that life switches and can change, so I don't fully grasp the scenario, but he did say something along the lines, man, I remember those days when I was fasting and praying and worshiping, and, and those were the good days. And I knew what he meant, and I wasn't prejudging him, but something in me got a little sad that there wasn't a follow-up comment that said, but I'm seeking him out, and there's still good and better days to come. I hope that wherever you're at today and the future, that you're willing to pray that prayer and not just ask or wish you could go back to the old days. Let's take a moment and pray together.
God, your words are true and they tell us about life. And you tell us not to look back in the old days and wish we could go back. That, that looking to our destiny, looking towards our futures and whether that's with you or walking towards death, that that was a part of moving forward. So we commit that in the moments when it meets our expectations, when it doesn't, when it's not about happiness, but it's more about contentment and peace in you, that we rest in knowing that in your presence, we can do all things. And your presence is all the good that we've experienced. And there's just as good, if not better, even in store for us. God, help us not to try and live off our experiences with you in the past, but to use us as pillars, as strong points to continue to move forward in the future in your presence while you have us living and active in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.